Ah, there we are. Be encouraged. Um, okay, we're starting a series this morning on uh, making progress in your walk with God. Actually, I think you call this a mini-series. It's a couple of weeks. So uh, we're going to be doing that and talking a little bit about making progress. How many of you, as you think about uh, living life, you think, boy, I, I'd really like to make progress. You'd really like to move forward. Many? The rest of you, you're just kind of sluggard. You're just kind of laying around hoping, hoping you know, life passes you by quickly. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, now I know the audience I'm dealing with. Uh, so, uh, you know, most of the time, I think people desire to make progress in their uh, lives. They really desire to move forward. Uh, they desire to live life with purpose. <clears throat> they, uh, they really desire that their lives would count. They don't want them just to be uh, passing by and, and being meaningless. In fact, our sense of worth, our sense of identity is a lot of times tied up in the progress that we're making. But how do you know? If you're really making progress, how do you know if you're really moving forward? You know, um, often I think it depends on who you ask. If you're a student and you ask a professor, well, he may lay out a certain plan and say, you know, if you do these things, well, you're really making progress. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, if you're an athlete, uh, you have a coach, you know, a coach may lay out a certain uh, program. And you begin to look at that and you think, okay, if I really do this, then I'm making progress. For others, you know, it may be their peers. Maybe their peers decide, you know, how they're making progress. Uh, if you listen to your parents, you know, your parents are going to give you a different picture of what progress is. So how do you really know? How, you know, who do you decide to listen to? Do you just uh, do you go with who you're closest to? Um, do you go with uh, the person that you like the best? Do you go with the person that gives you the easiest thing? And you think, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, that's making progress. How, how do you really know? I, I am convinced that most people are fairly certain they're not making the progress they want to. You know, a, a lot of times people uh, look at it and they think, well, I, I'd like to be doing better. You know, they're, um, they're, they're growing older, but they're not necessarily growing up. So how do you change that? How do you begin to uh, really make progress? For some people, what they do is they just, you know, they join a team, they join a group, they join an organization. It kind of lays out some things for them so they think, okay, now I know I'm making progress because these people have laid some things out. Other people just become fatalistic, and they think, you know, I don't think you can know. I think you just kind of, you know, go through, and, and, you, and you hope for the best. But wouldn't it be good if you could know? Wouldn't it be good if you could say for certain, for absolute certainty, the way I am living my life, the things I am doing, the things I am giving my time to, are ultimately going to result in success, and the guaranteed blessing of God. Would that be good? I mean, I think it'd be good. I mean, wouldn't it even be good if God kind of gave you a map for that? I mean, that'd be even better. And wouldn't it be better if God, the only one who ultimately you have to listen to, if he were the one who laid out the plan and said, you know what, this is exactly what you can do, and you can have guaranteed success. I think that'd be pretty decent. Well, he has. The verse we're going to be looking at today is a verse that kind of lays out what God has uh, uh, said as far as how we can have a guaranteed path of growth and progress and success. And the verse, let me give you a little bit of context for the verse. This, is, this occurs uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, children of Israel have been wandering around for about 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, Moses, their leader through all that time who they've looked to, you know, remember Charlton Heston, uh, they've been looking to him, and all of a sudden, you know, 
Uh, they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. Moses dies. So now they've got a new leader, Joshua. And Joshua is scared spitless because he's got to lead these people in to conquer all the land. And so what are they going to do? Well, God pulls him aside and says, Joshua, I have a word for you uh, that, that you really need to hear. And that's what this verse is here, Joshua 1.8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. For then your way will be prosperous. Then you will have success. So he starts off and he says, Joshua, you know, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit and kind of see what he's saying there. Um, most of the time we pass right over that. You know, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Have you ever thought about that? How do you keep words in your mouth? How, how, what, what's the reservoir that keeps words flowing into your mouth? Well, if you look at Matthew 12, 34, it tells us this. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So, if you want to know what's going on out of your mouth, you just keep it in your heart. I mean, that's, it just naturally flows out. That's the reservoir for your mouth, your heart. So, what this verse is saying is, the Word of God needs to impact us at a heart level. If it doesn't impact us at a heart level, it will not be in our mouth all the time. It's got to impact us at a heart level. Then, pressing on the verse right there, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but there's a contrast. To keep it from departing from your mouth, you shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then your way will be prosperous. Then you will have success. And so he gives him the map right here. The map is simply this. Meditation leads to application, which leads to progress. Meditation leads to application, which leads to progress. Now, when we first start talking about meditation, you know, you may think, uh, well, you know, I, I'm not really sure about all that. What, what's that about? Well, he says you shall meditate on this verse day and night. A lot of times meditation is thought of in, in the way that it's understood with like Eastern mystery religions, kind of you're emptying your mind of things. Most of us have no problem there. Our minds are fairly empty. What he's talking about here, though, is you fill your mind with something. You fill your mind with the Word of God and you let it run over and over and over in your mind to where you're thinking about it and you're, you're kind of looking at it from different angles. Now, you may think, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to meditate. Do you know how to worry? Anybody here know how to worry? Yeah. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Okay? It's the same thing. What do you do when you worry? Well, you run something over and over in your mind. You think about it from this angle and that angle and you just keep running it over. That's what it means to meditate. Now, what I'd like us to do here for a little bit, well, we'll get to that in a second. There's a, a, a book that I would suggest for you to read. And the book is a book by a guy named Mortimer Adler. Well, that's a name, isn't it? Mortimer. Parents didn't like him. Uh, Mortimer Adler. And the name of the book is How to Read a Book. And uh, it's a great book. And if you read it, it'll not only give you a lot of help in reading books, but it'll give you a lot of help in reading the scriptures. And so one of the things in there, when it first came out a long time ago, which you probably knew it came out a long time ago by his name, um, was the New York Times ran an uh, article about it, an advertisement for it, and they called it How to Read a Love Letter. And this is what it said. This young man has just received his first love letter. 
He may have read it three or four times, but he is just beginning. To read it as accurately as he would like would require several dictionaries and a good deal of close work with a few experts in etymology and philology. However, he will do all right without them. He will ponder over the exact shade of meaning of every word, every comma. She has headed the letter, Dear John. What did she mean by that? Did she refrain from saying dearest because she was bashful? Did she say, would she have thought my dear was too formal? Gee, maybe she would have said dear so-and-so to anybody. A worried frown now appears on his face. But it disappears as soon as he really reads the first line. She surely wouldn't have said that to anybody. And so he works his way through the letter, one moment blissfully perched on the cloud, the next moment huddled miserably behind an eight ball. It has started a hundred questions in his mind. He could quote it from heart, and in fact he will, to himself for weeks to come. Then the advertisement concluded, If people read books with anything like the same concentration, we would be a race of mental giants. Men and women, what I would propose to you is this. If we read God's word with any kind of concentration like that, we would be a race of spiritual giants. But we don't. So how do you do that? How do you meditate on the word of God? How do you read the word of God in such a way that it really works its way into the fiber of our heart, that it really makes a difference? Let me give you five ways you can do that. The first one, picture it. Picture it. Now, most of the time we read the scriptures and we just kind of blow through it sometimes. But you need to read it in such a way that you actually imagine yourself there. You know, uh, Acts chapter 12 is one of those places for me, um, as a lot of other passages are, but this is one I'll just use for this morning. Um, in Acts chapter 12, it talks about the uh, disciples, some of the early disciples have been thrown into prison because uh, the the rulers there were trying to, you know, calm down this whole thing, and so they threw some of them into prison. And it says Peter is there in prison, and he has like 16 guards around him. And so it's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, an angel comes in, nudges Peter, gets him up, the chains fall off. He leads him through right past these guards and these guards and these other guards, through the gates and over to this place where these people are praying for him. Now, how many of you have read that? Most of you have probably read that, haven't you? Yeah, you've read that. But how many times do you read that and actually place yourself there? And you read that and you think, really? I mean, do angels not know how to figure out a jailbreak? I mean, what, you don't, in the first place, you don't walk in and go, hey, wake up, you know? And then you don't let chains go clanging around. I mean, how stupid is that? And then you just walk right past the guards. Shouldn't you try to be like covert? and go around somewhere? I mean, do angels need CIA training? Is this just a problem with them? I mean, why don't they get this? You know, well, most of the time, we don't even think about things because we don't see ourselves. Picture yourself in there. See it, hear it, smell it. Find out what's going on in that passage. Picture it. Second thing you can do, ponder it. Ponder it. Now, one of the first times that occurred to me, I, w I was in Texas, and um, this was long ago, and, and, and I, was, I was thinking through some verses, and Psalm 1 was a, uh, was a passage I was looking at. And it says, blessed, are the man who walks, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And in this law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree that is firmly planted by rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in season. His leaves also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. And I remember I was just running that through my mind that night, and I thought, huh. And all of a sudden, as I thought about that, I began to notice a progression. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And I thought, now how do you end up sitting in the seat of the scornful? Well, it starts off by you walking with the wrong crowd. Then all of a sudden you find yourself standing around with them, and the next thing you know, you're seated right with them. And I thought, huh. So if you want to stop the process here, you probably ought to back it up over to here and think about who you walk with, Neil. And I thought, yeah, I ought to do that. And then it says, he'll be like a tree that is firmly planted by rivers of living water. I thought, a tree. Now, why would God pick a tree? I mean, you know, you know, everybody, I mean, if I ask you today, you know, what do you aspire to be? A tree. <laughs> really? <laughs> You're weird. Uh, you know, I mean, what, you know, but what? He said, you'll be like a tree. I thought, what? What's the significance of that? And I kept running that through my mind, and then I thought, you know what? If you cut a tree down, which I'd cut several down by that point, I thought, you know, if you cut a tree down, one of the things you find is this. There are rings for every single year the tree's been alive. And one of the things you begin to figure out is that's what God wants for us. He wants there to be growth every single year that we know him. He wants there to be a continued pattern of growth in our lives. So, you know, ponder what it's saying. Begin to run it over in your mind. Think about it from this angle. Think about it from that angle. Let it run through your mind. Third thing, pronounce it. Um, here, what you do is you just emphasize different words throughout. You begin to emphasize different words. So, for instance, like in the passage we're looking at today, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You begin to emphasize different words, like this book of the law. Not just any book. This book, you know, in other words, God's word shall not depart from your mouth. He's not talking, you know, don't let, you know, Dr. Seuss or some other book depart from your mouth. You can do that, you know. But you, this book, no, keep it to where it's in the reservoir of your heart all the time. A fourth way you can do that, um, paraphrase. Now, I'm horrible at this, I'll just tell you. This is one of the things I try to do sometimes, but my paraphrase is always just, uh, they, they stink. You know, I mean, uh, uh, paraphrase, what you need to do is you need to understand the passage well enough that you can then say it uh, in other language. You can, you can express it. Well, for me, it's something like this, you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they'll say, Neil, what are you, what's your paraphrase? And I'll say, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should... And they're, no, no, that's the same thing. I know, I'm horrible at this. You know, I mean... But you could be better. So encourage, you know, be encouraged. Just get to work at it to where when you read something, you actually can then express it in a different way. Paraphrase it. And then lastly, probe it. Ask it lots and lots and lots of questions. Who are the people in the text? Once you realize who the people are, um, what is said about them? What do they say? What's happening in the text? Uh, what are the events? What's the order of the events? Where are the people 
in the text. Where are they going to? Where are they coming from? Where's this thing taking place? Where's the writer writing this from? Um, why? why? Why was this included? When? When did this take place? When did it take place in reference to the other biblical accounts? When, you know, I remember the first time I figured out that the, the Joseph, I mean, I've been a Christian for about 30 minutes, and I figured out that the Christian, I mean, the Joseph who married Mary was not the Joseph that was in the Old Testament. I thought, oh, there's two Josephs. Good information. Thousands of years apart. Uh, you know, I had no idea. I mean, I just fat, dumb, and happy, just reading. You know, I mean, I didn't know. But, you know, figure out, when is this thing going on? And then ask yourself, what difference would it make if I actually put what I'm learning into practice in my life? What difference would that make? Begin to ask lots of questions. Probe it. Now, as you do, what you'll find is this. Meditation will lead automatically to application. God tells Joshua, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. Now, the, the phrase that we have, careful to do, is actually one word in the language that this was written in. And it's, it's a word, it means to accomplish or it means to perform. What he's talking about is you need to take action. It's not enough to just understand. The purpose of Bible study, the purpose of you spending time with God and his word, the purpose of you getting into that or hearing it here or anywhere else is not so that your knowledge would be growing. The purpose is that your life would be changing. God didn't give his word to increase your understanding. He gave it to change your life. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're putting it into practice. You're putting it to use. Then there's two different cause-effect statements that you see right there. Now, cause-effect means you can't really have one without the other. So the first thing he says, so that. He says, you will meditate on these verses so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein. If you don't meditate, you can't actually put it into practice. And you think, well, can I just read it and do it? Do I actually have to think about this? Uh, yeah. You can read it and just do it, but what you'll find is this. It only impacts you at a behavioral level. If you really want to be impacted at a heart level, if you really want it to impact you to the point to where it's in your heart and it's in your mouth and it's on your mind, then you have to meditate on the Word of God. You have to allow that to run through your mind again and again. And as you do, you begin to put it into practice. And then the second cause-effect statement right there, he says, for then your way will be prosperous. Then you will have success. For then, that's the cause-effect. Progress isn't a matter of meditating on the Word of God. It's a matter of putting the Word of God into action. Sometimes people read this verse and they go, oh, man, if you meditate, you'll be prosperous. No, that's not true. You meditate so that you can apply. And when you apply, then you have progress. Which leads us to the third one, progress. Progress. Two words are used here in this verse. One is the word prosperous. Prosperous. It means to push forward or to make progress. Now, when we think of prosperous, what we tend to think generally is you're prosperous when you have arrived at a certain point. You know, Bill Gates is prosperous. Well, you know, Bill Gates was prosperous 30 years ago when he was just getting started. 
People go, oh, no, he wasn't. He wasn't worth $30 billion. No, he wasn't. But you know what? He was prosperous. And the reason he was, he was making progress. He was moving forward. Some of you are waiting to get excited about things whenever you arrive. You'll be waiting a while. You know, you need to get excited about making progress every single day, moving forward. That's what one of the verses. And the other, the other word that's there is a the word success. And that word success, it's a word that means to prosper or to act wisely. So the, the thought behind that is if you're acting wisely, it's going to be a lasting progress. It's going to be a lasting success. It's not something that just appears and then dies out, but it, it goes on and on. It's a lasting thing. So consistent meditation leads to careful application, which leads to continual progress. So what are the next steps for you? Well, one of them is I would encourage you, you know, begin to carve out some time in your day, each day where you get some time with God. And you really ask him, God, would you speak to me through your word? Would you really train me? I mean, we are as dependent upon God to reveal the truth of Scripture to us as the writers were for inspiration. So we need to ask God, God, would you open up your word to me? Would you speak to me through your word? Now, sometimes I see people and they go, uh, well, I, I don't think I have time to do that. Well, you know, I do it early in the morning. I just get up and, and do it. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't know why I could do that because, like, I stay up late. Oh, well, there's a simple solution. Go to bed. You know, it's not that hard. You know, people go, yeah, but I got stuff to do. I work with college students, okay? They're up all the time. I mean, you know, I, I'm up with them, and if, what I know is this. If I'm up late, guess what? I'm just going to get less sleep tonight because I'm getting up tomorrow. So what you do is you decide, is it going to be a priority? Get some time. Second thing you could do, try it for yourself. This week, go home. Meditate on Deuteronomy 13.4. Begin to ask yourself, okay, God, what is it you want to say to me out of that? What is it you want to speak to me about? What, what do I need to learn, God? What are, you wanting to, uh, what are you wanting to communicate? A third thing you could do, another next step, you know, uh, memorize Joshua 1.8. That way you will be able to meditate upon it day and night. You know, memorize it. Get it into your life to where you know what it says and it's working its way into the fibers of your being. So begin to do that. Now, why do you need to do that? Why, why in the world do you need to take next steps? Well, a couple of reasons. One, the truth of God's Word is going to impact your life to the extent that you discover it for yourself a lot of times. You know, I can say things, Randy can say things, other people can say things, and you can hear that, and that's fine, but you know what? Ultimately, the truth you discover for yourself from the Word of God is truth that you think, man, I will live that out, I, I, I will die for that. So what you want to do is you want to be in the Word of God yourself. The second reason is this. Most people want to make progress. We just talked about that. Most people are looking to make progress in their lives. I mean, if there's a few of you I know that you're not me. I know, but I mean, most of you are. So, you know, those of you that are looking to make progress, if you're not satisfied with the progress that's going on in your life, in your walk with God, for that matter, just in your life, but if you're not satisfied with the progress that's happening, you can't blame the staff. You can't blame your small group leaders. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your husband. If you're not making progress, that is a self-inflicted wound. God has clearly given you a map 
of how you can do that. You meditate on the Word of God, you apply it, and you make progress. So let me encourage you to do that. This next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at just a practical application of this process that I've had for my own life that I think will have some ramifications for your life as well. So we're going to do that. So let's take a minute, let's pray, and we'll invite the band back up so they can lead us in worship. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that, uh, Father, we would uh, treat it with, um, with all the uh, honor and respect that it deserves, and that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through it. Father, apart from that, we really wouldn't know you. We really wouldn't have a a category for uh, who you are or what you're like. Uh, We can know a few things, but not not to the extent that you've shown us. So thank you for that. And I pray, Father, for the men and women here, that they would be wise enough to uh, take your word, um, get into it each day, put it into practice in their lives, and then watch as you make progress every single day in their lives. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name.